Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mastering College to Career Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Botero, and in this podcast, we help college students just like you get internships and job offers from top companies. In this podcast, we explore topics such as networking, interviewing, resume writing, and many other topics that will get you those jobs. Not only do I speak on these topics myself, but I also interview other subject matter experts, including CEOs, university presidents, and Fortune 500 executives. We also interview college students just like you in the hopes that you can relate to their stories and learn from their journey. So if you're a college student looking to get ahead, look no further and welcome to the Mastering College to Career podcast. All right, so before we get started, I want to take a couple of seconds to tell you about the Mastering College to Career Academy. The Academy is a mentoring program that helps college students land the jobs of their dreams before they graduate. In this academy, I will teach you application hacks that will automatically help you beat over 90% of all other job applicants, networking tactics that will give you access to the hidden job market where over 80% of jobs are filled, interview techniques that will practically guarantee you make it through every round of the interviews and win the offer. And I will also connect you with my network of thousands of HR professionals and hiring managers that love hiring my students. So if you're interested in learning more about this program, just send me a message and let's see if the Academy is a good fit for you. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics of all time, and that is networking. How to get a job without applying online. Like, I really do believe applying online is a waste of your time. And so I couldn't think of a better person um, to talk about this, someone that does such a great job talking about this on his LinkedIn. I got Austin Belsack. He is the founder of Cultivated Culture in the show today. Austin, man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm pumped to be here. I'm excited that you're here. I, I love your content that you put out on LinkedIn. I just agree with it so much and, and so excited that you know we're having this opportunity to to talk a little bit about um, why applying online is, is doesn't work, right? It's a waste of time for the most part. And before we really dive into it, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? For sure. So uh, if, we, if we're sticking with the present day to start, like we were just talking about, I still work full time at Microsoft. I work in uh, partnerships there on the advertising side, and I've been in my role for uh, coming up on five years now. So it's been a fun ride. Uh, never expected to stay somewhere for five years, but um, they've treated me well. It's been a great place to work. So I do that from nine to five. And then outside of that, as you mentioned, I run this site called cultivatedculture.com, which essentially aims to teach people how to land a job without applying online. So that whole site stemmed from my personal process going from you know being a student with pretty poor grades and, and a degree in biology uh, and a couple months of professional experience in healthcare, and then making the transition into tech and, and landing interviews and offers at Microsoft and Google and, and Twitter, uh, amongst other places. And a lot of people asked me how I did it. So I ended up kind of distilling everything that I learned and putting it into this post, and it got a, a really great reception. Um, and it, it seemed like a lot of other people were having the same frustrations that I had when I was going through the process. So I just started growing it from there. Um, and the rest is history. That, that was about four years ago that I started the site now. Um, and it's really kind of taken off. We have 
uh, a little over 200,000 job seekers in the, in the community now. Um, pretty strong LinkedIn following as well. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's kind of gotten bigger than I ever thought it would, but it's great because we get to, you know, help people land those jobs, kind of pick and choose where they want to go rather than throwing an application out and crossing their fingers, hoping somebody gets back to them. Um, and so, yeah, the whole thing is based on exactly what you mentioned, how to get in the door through networking without applying online. So you don't have to worry about that black hole, that applicant tracking system, all that good stuff. Where do you think like students get this information that they need to just apply online? Like I'm, I'm, I've always thought about if we can figure out that point where students are hearing that and say, Hey, no, that's a myth. <laughs> where do you think that, 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 they get that information or you think just because the easiest route? Yeah. So I'd say it's, it's sort of a two layered uh, monster, if you will. So the, the main thing comes down to that applicant tracking system and the sheer volume of candidates. But if we rewind, like, so the whole process that we go through now that we're told to go through, it's like 15 to 20 years old at this point. And the reason that it came about is because you know, before the internet, before all that, companies are sourcing applicants locally, right? Or you're mailing in your resume or, or whatever it is. There's no, there's no internet. There's no way to apply online. And so the internet, you know, happens and companies say, hey, I have this opportunity to leverage this platform to bring in talent from anywhere. So I can bring in the best people, you know, if the best person's in California and I'm in Florida or if the best person's in, you know, Nicaragua and I'm in New York, I can hire that person because I can get their application. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on the internet. Um, and so they got a flood of applications, right? Now they, they're getting applications from all over and they have no way to sort through those without spending tons of time. So they needed a way to figure out how to, how to parse through those applications and, and you know, theoretically pick out the best applicants. So they ended up using technology or finding technology, um, which is now called an applicant tracking system that essentially you know, scans resumes and uh, looks for certain criteria, ranks them certain ways. Um, there's a lot that goes into them and we can talk more about it, but they created that system and the system has, you know, it works to an extent for their purposes. Um, but there, there are a lot of flaws with that system and the people who bear the brunt of those flaws are the job seekers. But the problem is, you know, companies aren't because they're getting so many applicants, especially the best companies, they don't really have a huge incentive to change. They still feel like they're getting good talent in most cases. Um, and so, they sort of funnel people into that process. So what happens with universities and colleges and stuff is that they, they one, they're slow to change, right? You know, we're, universities aren't typically known to be like on the leading edge of innovation and, and change for this type of stuff. They're usually slower to adapt. And so the companies have this process um, and universities also like processes, right? Because when you have a graduating class of, you know, a minimum of a couple hundred students up to tens of thousands of students, you need sort of a scalable way to help them along. And so the applicant tracking system sort of works for that, that end, if you will. Um, but again, the students sort of bear the brunt, if you will, of, of the issues that, that come out of that. And so the problem is we're sort of taught from an early age that the way you apply for jobs is you tweak your resume, you tweak your cover letter and you apply online because uh, that's what our, our parents tell us um, because that's either what they did or what they've heard of. Um, our colleges, our universities tell us that because that's the process that they work with the companies on for the most part. And then the companies also tell us that themselves. You go to their site and they have, you know, all the form fields, right? Upload your resume, upload your cover letter. They don't really give you a lot of options. And so everywhere we look, that is the process that, that we're kind of told to follow. But that 
doesn't necessarily mean it's the best process, especially now when the market is, you know, probably more competitive than it, than it ever has been, um, at least, you know, in the last hundred years or so. I agree with you. Right. And I think, you know, I'm always trying to think like who benefits from the, from the way that the system works now, like who benefits because the companies sure they benefit in a sense, they have a bunch of applicants, but they also don't ever really review all those applicants. Um, you know, the applicant tracking system more times than not is going to like eliminate the majority of resumes. And me and you both know that all the large companies, before they even check in the random people that applied online, the thousands of people that apply at Google, they have a short list of referrals that they want to talk to first. So like, I just don't understand who benefits from the app applying online, except like the big job boards, like handshake when we're talking right out of college or things like that, that, yeah. you know, help manage the system. Because I think about like, applying online and i think about if and someone making like, i put myself as a hiring manager when i was at pepsico the one that made the decision who got this internship who, who didn't who move on who moves on to the management tra training program who didn't i think about a resume being like the most biased document in the world right it's all of the good things you've ever done in your life and none of the bad and if i only have a resume or your application online to make a decision about you i know that over 70 percent of people lie or exaggerate on the resume. So when I am looking at that, I'm already skeptical. I'm already thinking that if you put, I, I was the, the, the president of my student organization with a hundred members. I know that it was really probably 20 members, right? Like there was this things like that. Mm -hmm. But if someone that worked at PepsiCo when I was currently doing the job that I was hiring for gave me a student's resume and says, Hey, you need to talk to this person. And it didn't guarantee them the job, but it guaranteed them an interview, right? Because yeah. now the resume is only as biased as the relationship that I have with that individual. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, who benefits, uh, the current process is really inequitable. Like the, the people who benefit are, are at the top and are sort of the same people who benefit with a lot of aspects of, of the, the way that the system is set up in, in the US. Um, you know, the people who benefit are the Googles and the Microsofts and the companies at the top who have the best applicants applying to their companies. And the, the applicants who benefit are the ones who check all the boxes. You know, they went to the Ivy Leagues, they got the 4.0, they worked at other, you know, fantastic companies. Those are the people rising to the top on the online, you know, systems. And so everybody else who didn't, you know, have that, those connections because of, you know, where they're coming from, or maybe didn't have the same opportunities that somebody who went to, to Harvard necessarily had, those people kind of get lost in the, in the fray. And so we, we end up in this vicious cycle of, you know, everybody at the top is benefiting from this system, but nobody's really willing to change it because the people who do have the influence to change it in terms of the companies themselves, it needs to sort of come from them. It needs to come from the companies for us to see any change. Um, so that's, that's a rabbit hole to go down and, and, you know, something that, that I think about, which is a bummer, but to your point with the resume, um, you know, sales one-on-one, we were talking, you and I are both in sales, uh, when, um, you know, you were, you were working full time and what I do now, you know, what they teach you in, in sales training one-on-one is that if you want to sell, you need to make your pitch about the other person. Right. And the resume just doesn't let you do that. It's totally focused on you. And it's only focused on your past. And so if you're coming from a non-traditional background or you're, you didn't have that internship that was, you know, super highly sought after or whatever it is, if you don't check all the boxes, there isn't a whole lot of room for you to, you know, 
escape your past, right? There isn't a whole lot of room for you to not talk about this stuff because that's where the resume forces you to go. And the problem with it is it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the worst way to value the, the quality of a candidate simply because, you know, we don't ever get the chance to actually do the job with the resume. You know, when I was a kid, I played soccer and every year I'd go try out for the travel team. And, and I didn't bring like a piece of paper that was like, Hey, you know, Austin scored five goals last year and he can kick the ball with his left foot 30 yards. Like I went and played and the coach was like, you're good enough or you're not good enough. And we just don't get to do that right with a resume. So that's the system is broken kind of throughout every step of the process. And, and to your point, Companies want to hire other people that they know, that they like, that they trust. And so if we want to get in the door today, you need to start building those relationships. You need to start getting in front of the people who can pass your resume along and say, hey, Daniel, you should take a look at this student. You should take a look at this person for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, because then you don't have to worry about all this garbage that you and I just talked about for the last 15 minutes because you're just going to be right in the door for an interview no online application outside of a formality, no applicant tracking system. You know, you're right in the door and you're sitting in the seat where decisions are made. Yeah, I, I think it's important to, to know, you will eventually have to apply online, but that's only because you have to go through the process. So there's, mm -hmm. there's rules and standards that you see, but as soon as you apply, they're pulling your application. It's, it's, it's a fast track to the interview. So you will eventually still need to apply online. I just wouldn't start applying online and just hoping yeah. to get a call back, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the big issue, most recent stat I saw was that 75% of people use online apps as their primary method to apply for jobs. And then the stat that gets thrown around a lot is, you know, you have a, about a 2% chance when you, when you apply online of getting in the door for an interview. Um, but if you look at the referral side of things, you have about, uh, I think 7% of the applicants come through referral. Uh, but 40% to 80%, 40% is the more conservative estimate I've seen. 80% is more on the upper range, but 40 to 80% get hired through referrals. So either way, even if you're on the more conservative side, you're, you're about double the next two channels. Uh, and so if we kind of, you know, take a step back, people are spending 80, 75 to 80% of their time on online apps with only a 2% success rate. Um, and they don't really spend any time on, on networking. And so I encourage people to, to flip that. Instead of spending 80% of your time on online apps, spend 80% of your time networking and then do the online apps to cover your bases. Um, but I think one of the big issues is that, you know, a lot of people are happy to sit on a podcast or write an article to tell, and tell people, you know, oh, you need to network, you need to build relationships. But not many people are willing to tell people, you know, how to do that. You know, show, show me the steps to take. And that was one of my big frustrations as a job seeker, which kind of led to me tearing that whole thing apart myself and trying to figure it out. But I think that that's one of the big issues. There just isn't a lot of information on the, the formula or process to go about networking, to go about building those relationships. Yeah, that, that is definitely true because people say, well, you, know, you just need to network your way to a job. And for most people, networking is a very intimidating thing to do, right? Like, especially if you're an introverted STEM student, that really just wants to do his thing and go home. But like, now you're telling me I have to go network. And like, the good thing is that most of the time you just have to network with other very introverted students as well. So it's gonna be okay. It's just the initial thing. And, and maybe they get paralyzed by the daunting task of networking. So maybe, maybe we can dismiss, like talk a little bit about the steps and simplify it so that my hopes for students listening to this, you know what you need to do next. Like, right, we won't be able to teach you everything in this 30 minute podcast. But maybe walk away with this podcast saying, all right, now I know what I should start doing next. 
So where should they start? Mm-hmm. I know that we're both big fans of LinkedIn. I use that as my primary way of communicating. But um, what do you suggest? Is LinkedIn your, your go-to? Do you like email more? What is the best way to network? Yeah. So the, the first, the very first step is to kind of get clear on who to network with, right? So the, the, I think what's scary about networking is people think of networking as, you know, job, job fairs or uh, meetups or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's almost the, the worst kind of networking to do because in most cases, the people who make the decisions aren't necessarily at those uh, at those events. And even if you're at a job fair, the person who's there is a recruiter. They're not, you know, going to be in the room where the hiring decision is made. So the best thing you can do is, is take a look at, you know, Hey, what, what role do I want? Or what roles do I want? What companies do I want to work for? And then go find people who are already working in that role at that company and go make a short list of those folks. You know, typically when I coach people, I have them make a list of uh, 150 contacts, which is way more than, than you need to start out. And, and I don't want that number to scare people. Just go out and find five contacts, go find five people who are working in these roles at the companies you care about and say, Hey, I want to, I want to network with those people. Um, so that's where I start. And then immediately I go, I do go to LinkedIn and I look at their profile. I'm always looking for an in, uh, but I want to make it about the other person. I think a big mistake that a lot of people make is they show up with what, what I call a, a me mindset. And so that's effectively showing up and saying, you know, Hey Daniel, you work at PepsiCo and I want to work at PepsiCo. So here's my resume. Like, can you review it? Can you give me advice? Can you pass it to somebody? Can you, uh, you know, help me get a job? And that's direct for sure. You know, you're not beating around the bush. You're not being disingenuous. Um, but at the same time, you're making a really, really massive ask of the other person and you're really not likely to get a response or get anything back from that. So what we want to do instead is make it about the other person. You know, go look for something in that you can use to, to flip it and build them up. And there's a ton of ways to do this. You could recognize somebody for something they've done in their past. You know, maybe they made a career change or maybe they worked somewhere interesting. Um, I always recommend going and looking at your alumni network. You know, you can get the directory from your school. You can go use the search filters on LinkedIn to filter for people who are alumni. Um, I always look to see if people are, are active on LinkedIn. If they are, that's like one of the easiest ways to get in the door and then just run a Google search of their name. Like, do they have a personal blog? Do they have a personal portfolio? Do they have, do they write stuff? Are they featured in articles? You know, what else do they share on social media outside of LinkedIn? I just try to get as much info as I can. And then I try to find an angle I can use to get in the door with them. And so most of the time, like you mentioned, that's going to be cold email. So if if you're just sending a note to somebody, I personally recommend email over LinkedIn simply because it just gets better end to end response rates when you're going full cold. So um, you can easily find people's email addresses. Uh, I have this tool called, it's called mailscoop.io and it lets you look up anybody's email address for free, um, you know, unlimited lookups. So you just go plug in their name and their company URL and it pops it right out. So that's one way to go. Um, if they are active on LinkedIn, you know, something that I'll do is, is just show up and start engaging on their posts. You know, same way you and I got connected, you, you started commenting on my posts. You left not just like, Hey, awesome, great tips or love this, but like a thoughtful comment, you know, adding to the conversation, adding value. And then we started talking a little bit back and forth. And then you reached out to me about this and boom, here we are like same type of thing with these, with these people who are active on the platform. Um, and then if they have something, you know, if they have a blog, if they are featured in articles or, you know, they're doing something else out there that's interesting, hit them up about that, you know, send them an email or, or you know, get, get in front of them in, in that space where, where they're hanging out, where they're sharing stuff. But 
you start the relationship making it about them and you start trying to find ways to add value. And eventually it's going to come to the point where you can make an ask, you can get that reciprocation, but it seems counterintuitive when you're starting out, um, which I totally understand, but really the best way to get in the door with somebody is to add value to them, get on their radar in a positive way first. And I think that that's almost the opposite of what most people do when they start networking. Hey, Daniel here. Hope you're enjoying this first half of the episode. But before we move on to the second half, I wanted to share the story of Luis Guzman, a student that has gone through the academy and found so much success. Enjoy. I am here in the new office for my internship that I got thanks to the Mastering College to Career Academy. I'm with one of the um, top accounting firms in the world, and I wouldn't have done it without Mastering College to Career Academy and Danielle's Patera help. Honestly, it started noticing the difference once I enrolled because previously I would apply to pretty much everywhere and I would spend two or three hours to just get the email two weeks later. Hey, I'm sorry, we decided to move forward with a different candidate. But once I enrolled and I started applying the knowledge um, that is in the modules, I started getting um, interviews and eventually offers. And I'm graduating with four internships and I got a full-time offer in San Francisco with the top accounting firm in the world a year before graduation. So I don't want you to sleep on it. This is a no-brainer. It's literally step-by-step step on um, how to become an ideal candidate. I hope you all the best of luck and don't, don't think too much about it. If you want me to help you reach your career goals, just contact me. And now let's get back to the rest of the show. You said some amazing things here. I, I, so earlier today, I had a conversation with the chief uh, marketing officer for BombBomb. I don't know if you're familiar with that platform, but it's like a, it's like a video email. No, I haven't and, heard of it. Oh man, it, it's okay. amazing. So it, it, we're, he just wrote this book. I know people can't see this, but um, it's called Rehumanizing Your Business. And we were talking about what he's doing right now is that he listens to a lot of podcasts, right? And so after he listens to a podcast with a CEO or somebody like that, he sends him a, a, a one minute video on his, on email saying, Hey, I just, I just heard you on X podcast. This is what I learned. This is what I'm going to do to execute it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to create great content. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Very similar thing. He talked about this quote, like this really this visibility beats ability. Right. Uh, which is fantastic because I, I think it applies to students. I know so many students that get jobs with great companies, but doesn't mean that they were the most qualified student out there. And I also meet and talk to, and I'm sure you experience this all the time, where you talk to students, you're like, wow, you're like brilliant. Like you have an amazing resume, amazing experience, yet they don't know how to get visibility and to show their ability. Mm -hmm. And obviously with your help, then you're able to show, get, show them how to get connected and how to do that. But it's like you've worked so hard to build this amazing experience and background, but then you're not putting yourself visible out there. You're not networking the right way. And when you are, you're, you're being very upfront, like, hey, you work at Google. I want to work at Google. Can I send you my resume? And that doesn't work because people are just like big wall. They start protecting themselves. And I love the fact that you, you <laughs> said, you know, making it about them. It is about them. Like I, I tell my students all the time, the more you can have in common with the person, the better it is. And, and here's an example. Like 
I've had, a, I'm, I'm sure you get an influx of international students and God bless them because it's so challenging for them. It's yeah. like 10 times more challenging for them. Right. Yeah. And I, and so I think about like, this is probably a stereotype, but I've, this happened at least a couple of times where international students from India start uh, studying a, a STEM field. Their last name is Patel. And I'm like, man, there's this thing about the Patel last name. There's this instant connection. If you're a Patel, they just, <laughs> if you find someone at Google, that's, a past STEM student that went to your university and their last name is Patel, the odds of them replying to you are like 99%. <laughs> so like <laughs> the more you have in common, the better are that you're going to find out. So like, and being an alumni of the university, that's great. But if you're an alumni yep. and we're part of the same student organization, that's even better. Yep. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And, and it doesn't have to be, you know, for students, I think we, we go to the obvious stuff, right? student groups, alumni, and those are all great. But stepping outside of those bounds as well, like you can see you. So when you start thinking about this on a deeper level, you can really build a relationship with anybody if you know what they're interested in. Uh, all you need to do is some research on their interests and, and sort of align yourself to that. You want to be authentic 100%. Um, but if you go find somebody who's interested, you know, maybe they have a, a, a blog on something specific, like one of the people I was recently coaching, she was looking for a job in support at, um, you know, one of the companies we were looking at was Zendesk. And one of the people who worked there had a blog on, you know, just he would share his thoughts on the support process. Um, and he just wrote about it. And so we found an article that was, you know, his, his take on including empathy in the, in the customer support process. And so we reached out and we said, Hey, you know, you wrote this article, it's a couple of years old, but like given the current climate with COVID and everything going on, you know, we think, you know, empathy is probably more important now than it ever was before. So have you thought about, you know, revamping this? Have you thought about uh, revising it? Have you thought about resharing it? Cause you share some really awesome stuff. And so boom, we get in the door that way simply because we showed up like offering some value and recognizing them for something that is, we know they put effort into. Uh, and then you start to have the conversation and you build on that. And then eventually you can get around to saying, Oh, by the way, you know, I am in the market and I do love Zendesk and that's how I found you, but you've already built this rapport with them. They're going to be so like, if you think about it, it's almost like dating, right? Like if you go on a first date with somebody um, and you, you're like, man, I want to marry you. Like, that's weird, right? That's not usually going to happen. It takes like a, a couple dates and years and all that before you get to that point. Relationships are kind of the same. Like, and the people who will say that they'll marry you on the first date are also probably not the type of person you want to marry either. So it's the same thing here. Like if you ask for a referral and somebody refers you in immediately, how, how, how well are they really going to be able to go to bat for you? Um, you know, honestly, probably they can't really speak to anything that you've done. They don't know you. Whereas if you take some time to make it about them, have some conversations, get to know them and then make the ask. Now, all of a sudden they can show up and say, man, I've been talking to Daniel for a couple months. Like I know what he brings to the table. He's worked on X, Y, and Z projects. He's been in A, B, and C groups. He would really add a lot of value in this specific way. Like here's his resume. That sounds so much better rather than, hey, I got this email from a guy named Daniel. Like we went to the same school. So like check him out, right? So when we take time to build that relationship, we're going to get much, much better end results, which is what we really care about. We care about those job offers at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how many applications you send or how many emails you send or how many interviews you have even. It's all about how many offers you get. And even more than the offers is the quality of the offers with yeah. the companies that you want to work for. I'd much rather have one offer from your dream company than you get 20 offers from companies that you don't care about, right? Just be, totally. So 
Totally. And, and I think that's where me and you also can agree on a lot on is that it's so much about focusing on a handful of companies versus trying to have this shotgun approach of applying to every single job I meet the minimum qualifications for. I think that if you narrow down your list, identify why you want to work there, why you're a good candidate, and then show them that you are a solution to a problem they have, then it becomes a, a win-win situation. It becomes a no-brainer for them to hire you. And, and, and again, going back to what you were saying, the stronger the relationship, the stronger the, the referral, because not all referrals are created equal. Just because you get a referral, because someone says, yeah, use this link and, you, and put me on, on, put my name when you're applying so they and can get I'll, a referral bonus. I'll get that $5,000 bonus. bonus or yeah, whatever. <laughs> get the referral bonus. That's a weak referral. Like that one thing is, yes, use my link, use my name so I can be counted as a referral. Another thing is that person getting out of their desk, walking to the hiring manager and saying, not only here's his resume, but here's his like career portfolio, or here's a project that they did for our company where they interviewed a hundred of our customers and found out what is our big, what is their biggest pain point or, you know, and that is like above and beyond. I've never had an experience where a student invested more than 10 hours on a project for a company that didn't get to an interview. Like it, it's like a guaranteed interview. Have yep. you seen the same? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's basically like the silver bullet part of my strategy. So I call it a, a value validation project. And essentially, um, it's the goal is to do exactly what you said. You know, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but, uh, the current process for, for illustrating your value is just really poor, right? You have your resume, you have a cover letter. Most of us don't feel comfortable and aren't used to illustrating our value in that way at all. If, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it in any sense. And so instead of, you know, it's, it's like the soccer tryouts I mentioned, instead of saying, you know, Hey, uh, here's, here's some bullets about this internship, or here's what I did in the past. We go out and we say, all right, I'm going to go research your business. I'm going to go interview your customers. I'm going to go, uh, dig up all the information I can. I'm going to find some opportunities. I'm going to find some pain points. And then I'm going to show you that I can do the job by actually doing the job. So, you know, Hey, I, I want to work in data analytics. Well, let me go find a free source of data and, you know, plug your company in there. Um, for example, somebody, I saw a really cool project where this person did uh, basically an airline sentiment analysis using Twitter's data. So Twitter opens a lot of their data up to the public. And so this person went and scrubbed all these tweets about airlines and he used natural language processing to understand, you know, is this a positive tweet or a negative tweet? And then he basically went and created, you know, a whole breakdown of which airlines have the most positive sentiment, which airlines have the most negative sentiment. And so if he then goes apply and applies for a job at an airline, you know, he can show up with that and say, look, you know, I, I want to work in data analytics for your company. This is the kind of stuff that I can offer. This is the kind of value I can bring. Um, you know, if you want to be a marketer, you can go do a, a competitive analysis of, you know, you can go audit the competition and see what their sites are doing that your company isn't, or you can go interview some customers and create some personas and come up with a couple of ways to, to reach out and, and get in front of them. Um, you know, if you want to work in sales, you could go through the company's sales process and act like a prospect and then, you know, go give them feedback on where you think it's breaking down. Uh, there's so many, so many different ways to do this and make it happen. But to your point, you know, 
at the end of the day, companies just want to hire the person who they believe will bring the best ROI, the best value to the role. And when everybody else is using the same means to convey that in a resume and a cover letter, it's really hard to differentiate. Whereas if you're the one person who said, hey, I have a great resume and a cover letter, but I'm going above and beyond to create this project and show you exactly what I can bring to the table, you're going to stand miles apart from everybody else. And this works especially well for students who you know, the playing, the playing field is so flat. You're competing on your internship, your major, your GPA, and maybe a few other things. Everybody's sort of within the same realm for the most part. You put one of these projects together and you're immediately head and shoulders above everybody else because nobody else is doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's such a like, it's common sense, but it's not common practice. Like when we talk about it like this, it makes, why wouldn't anybody not do this? But the reality is that it doesn't matter. I, I would think people listening to this, even though we talk about this in this podcast, very little people will actually go and execute the strategy. The ones that do will get the jobs, right? Well, yep. that, like th that example about the airlines. And if they were to then share that on their LinkedIn, that, yep. that link most likely will go viral, right? Because it's freaking amazing. And not only <laughs> would the airlines want to hire him, but like the hotels are going to be like, Marriott's going to want to be like, oh, we should hire that because it, this is not a problem that airlines have. Like this can easily go from airlines to hotels, from hotels to restaurants. Like it would just, he would get flooded with invites to interview. Yeah. And there, there's a great story of uh, uh, this woman named her, her name's Nina. And she, so she lived in the middle East. She moved to uh, California. She wanted to work for Airbnb. I don't know if you've heard about this, but anyways, she applied online. She sent all the cold emails. She didn't get anything back. And she sat down and she basically said, you know, I really want to work at Airbnb. This is my dream company. I've been rejected across the board, but have I done everything I possibly can to get in the door for this role? And she asked herself and she said, you know, the honest answer was no, I hadn't. And she was like, I needed to give it one last effort. So she went and she did a bunch of research and she basically realized that, you know, Airbnb didn't have a presence in the Middle East where she was from. So she went and she, she mocked up, she created a whole web page that mimicked Airbnb's listings. And at the very top, it has her picture and it says, you know, hey, I'm Nina. Um, I want to work at Airbnb, but I realize thousands of other people do too. So I, want to, I went ahead and created, you know, this opportunity for you to show you the types of things that I bring to the table. So you scroll down a little and she basically went and she looked at in the Middle East for all these cities. She looked at the average listing price. She looked at how many listings there were. She looked at the average number of reviews per listing. And she basically quantified the opportunity that Airbnb was missing out. So she said, you know, hey, this total market with listings is worth, you know, X millions of dollars. If Airbnb comes in and takes 20% of that even, you know, here's the upside that you're looking at on an annual basis. And then she basically laid out a plan for how they could get in the door there. So she created the site, the, the website is Nina and then the number four and then Airbnb.com. So Nina for Airbnb.com. And if you, you, the website is still up, you can go look at it, but she took the link and she tweeted it at the founders of Airbnb and, and Brian Chesky, who's the CEO and one of the founders saw it and he replied to her and he was like, I'm reviewing now. And she ended up getting the job there. But like you said, uh, she, she, I'm not even sure it went viral, but like she, she, the CEO himself saw it and was like, yeah, this is amazing. You're in. Right. And, and if we just think about why that works so well, not only do you showcase the skills, but the fact that you show a company that you want to work there so bad as a hiring manager, I just think like if they did that just to get the job, I can't even think about what they would do once they're in the company. Right? Like it becomes a no brainer, exactly. right? It becomes a no brainer of a hire. I, I've, you know, 
when I was doing research for my book, Austin, I, I found some statistics that said hiring the wrong person costs the company one to five times their first year salary. Yep. And the break even point is about two years long and it obviously changes by position. So I remember asking this like head of, of people at PepsiCo and I said, what did it cost if we hired the wrong sales associate, which is like the management training program? And he says, it cost me $150,000 and that is what we can quantify. There is a percentage yeah. of that that we can't quantify. Like if we actually had somebody who didn't have to go through a year worth of training, you know, that is just what we can quantify from their salary, their benefits, the time with the trainer, the tools that we pay for. It's $150,000. And that's when I realized that the biggest problem is not that we don't think you could do the job. It's one, another thing we have to overcome is do I think that you will be here for at least two years where I don't lose money? Yeah. Right? And if Nina made that project, it doesn't matter if Maria or another competitor of Airbnb offers her an extra $10,000 a year. She's not leaving Airbnb, right? Like there's this, this sense of loyalty because you have this thing where you have very, very talented people where you're afraid that they'll leave. And then you have people who are not very talented. So you have to be able to showcase one, can you do the job? And are you capable of doing the job? Two, are you a good cultural fit? But when you check those boxes, the fear then comes, can I see you being here for at least two years? Which is why internships are becoming so big because it allows students mm -hmm. to test the company before they leave. Exactly. Exactly. And also the value validation project lets you do that too, right? You go do all this research. Maybe you talk to some people there, you survey some customers. And I have a lot of people that I work with who come back to me and say, wow, after, after doing this, I'm not sure that this is the right company for me. And you're like, great. You just saved yourself, you know, hours and hours of headache and then potential, you know, years, if you ended up taking that job, that's awesome news. Let's move on to the next one. Plus you've got that practice, right? Your first value validation project is not going to be your best. Your second isn't either, but as you do more of them, you're going to get better and better. And so you just got a little bit of practice in you, you came to a big realization and that's totally fine. That that's a huge win in and of itself. So there's really no downsides other than, you know, the time that you invest, the extra time that you invest, but I always say, you know, people come to me and they say, what if I put together one of these projects and the company steals my ideas? Um, you know, sure, that, that's happened. I, I've seen it happen to, to plenty of people. But at the end of the day, um, to Nina's point, you know, I want to be able to walk away and put my head on the pillow at night saying, you know, I did 100% of what I could to get this job. And if they steal my ideas, that's one, that's not really a place that I want to work for. But two, you know, for me, if I didn't do that, if I didn't put in that extra 10 hours, I can't say that I really, really wanted this job. I can't say that I wanted it more than somebody else. Because at the end of the day, if you're, I think it, what it really comes down to is if, if you want an above average job, you can't just do the average job search, right? Like you can't do what everybody else is doing and expect better results than anybody else. So if you want that job, if you want that coveted dream job, you have to go above and beyond. You have to do more. And this is one of the easiest most kind of, it's not straightforward in terms of putting it together, but in terms of the concept, this is one of the most simple concepts that you can execute on. And then you just need to get in the habit of, here's a company, let me do some research, let me find some pain points, let me put together a project. Um, and I guarantee you, you're gonna start, you know, if you're struggling in your job search, you just do that one thing, the results are completely gonna shift and you're gonna start seeing a whole lot more opportunity coming your way. I, I, I wanna even challenge students because I believe that doing one of these projects is be it'll give you a better return investment than doing an internship. 
unless yeah, it was with 100%. the company, unless it was with the company that you want to work for. Like I think an internship with Google is, will give you a better result if your ultimate goal is to work at Google. But if you don't mm -hmm. have the opportunity to do an internship with your dream company, doing a project like this this summer, especially if you maybe don't have an internship this summer or you lost your internship because of COVID, this is where you should focus your attention with is invest, treat it like an internship, work 10 hours a week on this. It does, like, I think you can even, if you do more than 10 better, but if you do a minimum of 10 hours a week for 10 weeks in a row, that's a hundred hours. I, you will get a job. Like <laughs> if you need help, reach out to us. Like either of us, like yeah. you're going to get a job. Agreed. I think we should challenge them to do that. I, I think there, there needs to be like, 2020 internship should be a project like it should be designed to, to or a portfolio like take those 10 yeah. hours a week and do do try to do five projects or 10 projects and then put them all on a website um or write a medium article about how you went about creating the project and now all of a sudden you have this portfolio and you can send people to that link and you can say hey here's the type of thing that i can do for you go look at these 10 projects that i created for airbnb google microsoft facebook blah 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 and they can go take a look and they can get inside your head and see, oh, this is how this person solves problems. This is how they research. This is the kind of ideas that I have. I love that. You know, that's worth way more to me than these random bullet points on these resumes over here. So absolutely, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. But if you if you come up with a, like a, a critical mass of, you know, three, five, ten projects and you show up with that one, you have those all set for those companies. Right. So you can take them right to those companies and you're off to the races. But they also act as illustrations of your value for anywhere else that you want to go. I, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the airline example is about, about Twitter, like it, you could take that to any airline, right? And it would exactly. work. Or, or any industry, right? Yeah, like industry, you can see right. the sentiment of any company out there. Yeah. Yeah. So man, I, it, time literally has flown by. It's over been 30 minutes, <laughs> Austin. So I want to be respectful of your time, the audience time, everybody's time. So Austin, what is the best way if students enjoy listening to you, learning from you, uh, what is the best way for them to connect with you? For sure. Uh, so there, there's really two ways. One is the site. So if people go to cultivatedculture.com, um, right there on the homepage, we have a lot of free tools. We have a free resume builder. Um, we have a free resume scanner. We have a couple other tools out there. I mentioned MailScoop to help you look up emails. That's all right there on the site. Um, and then LinkedIn, you know, that's how we connected Daniel. But for a lot of people out there, I'm, I'm active pretty much every day on the platform. Um, you know, feel free to connect with me, send me a personal note, let me know you're coming from the podcast. Um, but those two places are, are definitely the best bet. And then for value validation projects, I do have an article. If you go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash value, I basically walk through the process that I use to kind of teach people how to create some of these projects. And there's some examples in there as well. So sometimes it's helpful to see those tangible examples before you jump in. And, and that's a good place to do it. Wow. This has been amazing, 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 amazing. Uh, Austin, man, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your wealth of knowledge, really giving students some actionable things to do, right? Like you can walk away from this episode and if you execute a third of what you listen to, you would be 10 times better place in getting a job. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Everybody else listening, thank you so much and catch you guys on the next episode. All right, my friend, congratulations for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. In the age of short attention span, this speaks volumes of you. So now, if you found value in this 
episode that I am sure you're going to find value in the Mastering College to Career Academy. So if you want to learn more a little bit about that academy, go to MasteringCollegeToCareer.com or just send me a message. And thank you so much for listening and catch you guys all on the next episode. Oh,